0: Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 8. It's great to be with you once again, no matter when that is, whether it's the day this episode released or maybe you're checking this out in the year 2021. 2022 or even later perhaps you're listening to this far into the future and just curious what things were like during the coronavirus of 2020 or just trying to understand what life was like before the post-covid era if so i hope that you're coming to this podcast because theater and all performing arts are just thriving and uh, you just can't get enough and you wanted to hear more about what goes on with the fabulous musicians that you hear each time you go to a show. Am I right? Or maybe it's just a Tuesday, and we're still waiting. Well, that brings up a thought. If I stay on schedule, I'll have more than 30 episodes out by the time we get to January, the earliest that Broadway might reopen. So now this is just a thought, but what if shows like this one that talk to artists are at least partly responsible for keeping the hunger alive for seeing live performances. I don't know that a show like this will make any more of a difference uh, than perhaps some of you. uh, You're just going to be more aware of the instrumentalist next time you see a show and that that in itself is great. But could shows like this have some bearing in the public interest? The difference between being skeptical about returning to the audience or maybe even being hungry to return. Maybe not, but I'll keep putting this out there just in case. There are plenty of instruments we have not represented on this podcast. In fact, before now, we haven't talked to a single brass player, but today we're going to cover that. I'm going to be talking with Kate Hopper. Kate plays the French horn, and she has an extensive education on the instrument, including a doctorate in horn performance from the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. In spite of her qualifications, Kate isn't a regular in the symphony orchestra scene. And there are a few reasons why, but it starts with the fact that traditional symphonic orchestra just isn't that big of an interest to her. She loves the pit and the special challenges that come with playing French horn for theater that are seldom to be found anywhere else. She has a non-music day job, but she also teaches private instruction and horn when she's not playing for shows or acting as an orchestra contractor, uh, which is the person who finds the musicians to play for a production. Kate also lives with chronic illness, and that plays a factor in her life. And we'll talk about what that is and what she has to do to overcome it. The sound quality is a bit uneven in this episode, so I apologize in advance, but I still think that you'll get quite a bit out of this episode so without further delay, here is my interview with Kate Hopper. And I'm pleased to be joined today by Kate Hopper. Uh, Kate Hopper plays French horn, but uh, we'll get into how she got into that in just a moment. But Kate, how have you been doing during this time of no theater?
0: Um, pretty well. I'm missing a I'm missing the theater a whole lot. <laughs> I'm missing playing. I'm missing socializing, being around others. Um, I'm actually in my 13th week of being furloughed from work, so I have literally not been anywhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I, I I think I've mentioned it before, but in case I haven't, not everybody who plays pit and even plays pit professionally, you know, does that all the time. You, you have a day job and, and that day job's been affected just along with the arts.
0: Oh yes, it has.
1: So let's uh, let's go ahead and get started with just, uh, well, how did you get started with music?
0: Music in general, I, I grew up in a very religious household. Mm-hmm. I have two ministers in my family. Um, so I grew up in church and I learned how to read music and that sort of thing in church. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, I was fortunate enough to be at a church where they had lots of resources and we had Percussion ensemble and recorder choir and handbells and hand chimes and, you know, you name it. So that's how I got pretty much started in the whole with my love of music. Now, as far as playing horn, I didn't start playing horn until I was uh, a senior in high school Mm -hmm. and was basically just given uh, before I had played trumpet and then I was playing at the time um, euphonium and. We needed horn players, and I said, sign me up, basically. <laughs> I was bored playing euphonium. So, you know, my band director at the time, he was also a horn player. He gave me a scale sheet, and that was it. He said, go learn the scale, and I was sat in a closet, a storage closet, for like four days. And then on the fifth day, he had me play it in front of the entire band, and the rest is history.
1: <laughs> Great. Uh, so one thing that we do have in common is that, you know, we both have French horn experience. Uh, I I played piano for probably uh, six or seven years before uh, in seventh grade I took up French horn. And it never, it just French horn never rose above piano. It's just something, and I, there's a lot of things that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do well, such as, you know, for the same reason I can't roll my Rs in Spanish, I can't flutter tongue. Uh, I could never get double tonguing or triple tonguing, and of course, I I didn't have very good guidance. I didn't have a private teacher, and I couldn't even tell you if I had the right mouthpiece for what I wanted to do. But I couldn't yeah. couldn't get low notes at all. You know, so it's like could get high notes, but I had a horn where I couldn't get the A flat. <laughs> Uh, but one thing that crosses my mind is there's a big difference in the type of embouchure you need for baritone horn or euphonium and French horns. How long did it take to adjust to that?
0: It actually did not take me very long, mm. Like it literally four days wow. and I was ready to go. And I, I'm kind of one of those people and I'm sure, you know, others like this that can just pick up an instrument. Like if I really want to learn how to play something, I'm going to learn how to play it, you know, pretty quickly. Right. Um, it's just one of those natural abilities, I think, for me. And once I learned, and it was a, the scale that he gave me was a, um, a two-octave chromatic scale, F to F. So it was for for high school, it was a decent, you know, range level. And from there, I started taking private lessons because I really liked it and I really wanted to know what I was doing. So um, I started taking lessons and and working on um, playing in solo and ensemble and auditioning for things. I ended up being in the Louisville Youth Orchestra and I took lessons from you know one of the members of the Louisville Orchestra. So it was something that I pursued and worked at very diligently. Yeah, from the get go.
1: And I think it's an important point to, to mention, you know, you had a private teacher. I know that there are people out here there who have had success, really big success on their instruments, being self-taught. But I think people need to know those are outliers. Those are, that's, that's very rare. It's like you get 10, 10 musicians in a room, you know, nine of them have had <laughs> uh, private lessons and private training. It's, it's, it's really hard without a good mentor to make it past a certain point.
0: It is. And you know, I have, there's a lot of people, myself included, um, you have somehow, you have this natural talent for it. Like you're predisposed to be able to do it, but that it will only get you so far. Right. There is always a, you know, a threshold. There's always a point at which you need help mm-hmm. getting beyond that. And, you know, just from teaching, you know, private students and in my, just in my experience, you know, eventually you need that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you, uh, you kept horn through college and even into grad school, right?
0: I did. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have a doctorate. I went all the way through. So
1: obviously, you know, playing horn, you you've probably have all the orchestral experience and band experience. You Like if you play orchestra, the, the fun thing is you really learn how to transpose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's like all the horns and G's and horns and C's and, and so mm-hmm. forth. That's got to be a, plus in theater, I don't, I have, have you ever been asked to transpose it? Like the really old scores, you know, from the early 20th century, there aren't anything that says like horn and G or horn and D is there?
0: Um, no, but you know, every once in a while, you'll come across a show where the soloist on stage, whatever the character might be, the key needs to be changed. Right. And nine <laughs> times out of 10, that's planned ahead of time. And so you know, it'll be provided for you if there's not already a transposition available. Some scores, you know, come with alternate keys for certain songs. Um, but sometimes, I mean, I've, I've had a couple of instances where they're like, OK, well, we need to change. We're going to have to change the key of this song and I'm ready to go. And some of the others are ready to go. But then there's a bunch of other musicians that are like, hold up. That's, right. you know, that's talk. I can't do that so it's definitely that is a benefit of being a horn player is having that you know transposition skill uh
1: and it's really helped me as you know an accompanist you know playing pianos because people ask in a transpose. i'm like oh of course
0: (laughs) right i need it in a different key it's too high it's too low whatever and you know you just you just do it um
1: i had a professor in college uh and i don't know if if he made this up or or if other people use this but when he told it to me, it made a lot of sense. It was called hand to stand. It's like, what is the instrument in your hand? And what is the key of the music on the stand? And you just, you have to figure out if you go up or down, but that's the interval difference. And right. So I just made a big, so like if you've got a, if it calls for horn and E flat, you got an F horn in your hand, uh, uh, F, F to E flat is down a second. So. <laughs> right. Uh, so I, that, that really helped me out quite a bit. Um, so how did you get into theater? What was your first show, and and what age were you when you got into it?
0: Theater didn't really enter my life until college. And my undergraduate degree is from Murray State University, which is far western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I actually, I grew up in, in Louisville, Kentucky. So um, when I went to college, I was trying to stay in-state, so I had that in-state tuition, but mm-hmm. get as far away as I could, you know, and and from family and be on my own as possible as, you know, a lot of young people like to think they want. Yeah. And so I ended up at, at Murray state, um, on scholarship and they have the two fraternities, um, Phi Mu alpha and SAI do a yearly theater production. Um, it occurs um, in the beginning of the spring semester. So it's like in that winter, right at the end of winter, Um, Right before school starts for the spring semester, um, they put on a show that, you know, all the proceeds, it's completely student-run, and all the proceeds go towards scholarship. Um, So that was an option when I got there, and it's called Campus Lights. They've been doing it for 83 years, I think. Mm -hmm. So this is a long-standing, you know, tradition. And so the first show that I did was Guys and Dolls. Mm. I have never played a show before and it still kind of remains like one of my favorites um, just because it was my first experience, you know, and not really being a part of that scene before and, and watching all of these people from, you know, put together something from nothing was kind of like where my love for musical theater started. And then just the excitement and the drama and, you know, even when things are not going the way they're supposed to be going, right? It's kind of addicting in that way.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure, you know, what order this episode will be released. But you are the—I think the—you're th- the third person I've interviewed who said that Guys and Dolls was either their first or second show <laughs> that they really? ever did. So uh, it must be it must be very common among, especially like high schools and colleges.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but yes, I haven't
0: done it since.
1: Mm, yeah. There's been and there's been some productions. Well, that were in the works, <laughs> <laughs> you know, locally. So, uh, but, yeah. Hopefully, get a chance to play that again. Hopefully. Um. So, so have you been active in you know ever since college in theater? Or? Oh
0: yeah. Did you know in my undergrad? I did. You know, we we did the 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 campus lights productions every year, and then. I would play for the musical theater kind of stuff that that the university put on. And then there was a gentleman, a friend of mine, um, Russ Trowell, who I still, I think he's still doing the the theater thing right now in Louisville. Um, He would do productions every once in a while on his own, kind of a volunteer kind of situation. And I did um, um, The Wiz. So that... I graduated, and then I moved from—my family actually moved to North Carolina before I did. Mm-hmm. Um, they were here probably three years before I actually moved to North Carolina. So once I got here, I actually quit playing horn for an entire year. Mm. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. My my father had recently passed away. It was, it was kind of a— you know, a a tough time in my family. And so I just, you know, got a regular job and just kind of was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And then I kind of got back into, you know, I started missing playing and I got hooked up with some people that, you know, played quintet kind of gigs. And I played in the, um, Philharmonia Greensboro orchestra.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, then I got involved at UNCG through that and played in the horn ensemble. And then I started getting gigs as far as musical theater. And then I started, you know, I started my master's degree and I played for UNCG and then universities, community theater. So I've, I've been playing musicals for quite some time.
1: Right. And I was, I was thinking, especially with modern musicals, there's not maybe as many opportunities on French horn as there are quite a few of the other instruments but and also in my experience there aren't a lot of there isn't as much competition to get those gigs on that instrument
0: Yeah, it depends on what's going on I mean who who and where I mean it kind of fluctuates sometimes yeah. there'll be more people you know around like if if the universities have more students at the time there might be more of a competition sort of thing but generally in the area, people like to kind of stick with who they know. And, and I've been here long enough. I've kind of established myself.
1: Right. Now, perhaps some of the listeners are are horn players themselves and maybe, you know, maybe even students and maybe kind of what they know is, is, you know, what they get in wind ensemble or what they get in orchestra. How would you compare the literature, the typical music you get in music theater to symphonic as far as like difficulties and techniques needed, and or is it similar or different in any way?
0: It's a good question. It's it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges. It's like they're both fruit, right? But they have like their differences. Um, I would say, as far as the orchestral side, I mean, the hardest thing that you do as a horn player is obviously a lot of transpositions, right? you know, there's specific sounds and timbres and, that are associated more with orchestra. Um, you tend to play in fewer different uh, types of styles than right. orchestra.
1: Right.
0: When you get to musical theater, you play all sorts of styles. Yeah. And have to be fairly, you know, fairly good at it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, transposition is not really a big thing. And musical theater, Um, another thing that's kind of a difference between, let's say, orchestra and musical theater is that in orchestra, you tend to kind of specialize. You know, if you're a professional, you kind of end up, you know, either a a high horn player or a low horn player. Mm -hmm. Most of your music is written to where your first and third parts are the higher parts and two and four are the lower parts. Mm -hmm. Just kind of traditionally how it has been. You get to musical theater, you have to be able to play many octaves all at once in one piece. You may, you know, up to three octaves, and it it um, it, it's definitely can be a challenge, especially if I mean if you come if you're coming from an orchestral background and you only play fourth horn, you're not going to do very well playing any musical theater production. That's different. You have your roles are kind of different, too. It's, it's always interesting. Um, different musicals handle it differently. But a lot of times, horn is kind of like the, the versatile instrument. Yeah. And we are, to a certain extent, you know, kind of a brass instrument and a woodwind instrument. We kind of like, you know, we can be a brass quintet. We can be in woodwind quintet. Um, our literature is set up that way. You know, in orchestra, you tend to stick with the brass for the most part. I would say, and then in musical theater, there's a lot of hopping around between what your role is, whether you're playing with the brass or you're playing with the strings, remember, whatever, whatever group, and so you have to be be able to almost you change your style of playing, you change your timbre, you change your role, and you have to be able to know know that immediately and be able to change on a dime and that, Unfortunately, I mean, that also comes with problems, too, is because typically when you're playing, you know, especially like, you know, community theater sorts of things, you always end up where you have, like, pockets of intonation, is what I like to call it. It's like the brass will stick together and be in tune, but not with everybody else, and the strings will stay in tune with themselves, but not with everybody else. And so the horn player usually ends up bouncing around, they're flat, that group is sharp, you know, you're, you're constantly changing. So it's a, it's a challenge in that way. That's completely different than playing, you know, in, in an orchestral situation or a symphonic band situation. I would say literature-wise, as far as kind of more modern technique and extended technique, like wind band music would be more similar to musical theater, Right. There's only a few, there's only been a few times really in in a show where I felt like it was a very orchestral moment. Right. It's really you know it's it's different. It's apples and oranges, like I said.
1: Right. But it sounds like you know if if you're worried if you're worried about it being challenging enough, it certainly will be challenging enough. You know, it's it's going to be oh, engaging. Yeah. yeah. And,
0: um, and I think that's why for me, I. I, you know, I've, I'm, I've always kind of referred to myself as being the atypical horn player. Um, obviously, I've played in an orchestra and I, you know, learned all my excerpts and all that kind of stuff. But I almost, I prefer playing, doing pit work over most things. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, you know, the excitement, the engage. I need to be engaged all the time. I don't get bored. Um, I like the challenge so which is a little bit uh, well it's a lot different than playing an orchestra. A lot of times in orchestra you you know not every piece that you play on a concert is going to be like a big horn orchestral excerpt piece. It's it's more challenging for me and it keeps me engaged, I think more than orchestral music does.
1: Right. And just here's a here's just a couple of questions uh, that came to mind. Well, first of all, I wanted to ask, like, you know, are there favorite books or, or least favorite books? But, but also ad, an, another question that I thought of was, you know, some, sometimes composers write at the piano and they don't, they, they may know how the other instruments work, but some of them don't. It's like they, they, they wrote a, a, a something on the piano and gave it to a horn. Are there, are there books that you thought that this is very idiomatic, this, this really fits the instrument? And are there books that you thought this person never played horn before?
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I can't... Off the top of my head, I can't... I would say probably your 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 older musicals are more idiomatic. Yeah. You know? Your newer stuff, a lot of the... You, know, you start to see where you're like, are you kidding me? Like, you really think that I am capable of doing this? <laughs> and, you know, especially like... It'll sometimes parts will almost be like a woodwind part or a, you know, and it's just almost impossible to play. You figure it out, but you know, you're thinking this is not something that I would ever see in any other kind of, you know, musical setting ranges. Right. um, Endurance. Yeah. You know, i got a tiny mouthpiece you wear Mm -hmm. out. I mean, and if you, you're playing a, playing a piece or a show that's, you know, through Composed, you're exhausted by the end. And especially since the way the, the horn, you know, the role of horn is, you know, playing with um, different sections all the time. You don't stop playing.
1: <laughs> I, I still hear my composition teacher uh, saying, Dave, you need to give them, you need to give them a rest. The brass players are going to get hamburger lips. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, that's a that's speaking of that's got to be a difference uh if you play french horn and let's just say even an orchestra concert you know that has a lot of more modern pieces it might have some Prokofiev for howard uh-huh. hansen or something like that you at least get a lot of rests and you play for maybe eh, what, 45 minutes to an hour take an intermission do maybe a slightly shorter second act uh you're if a show that calls for French horn. Sometimes you got to go longer than that. Like, I'm just thinking the first show we oh, did yeah. was Les Miserables. That was a one hour, 47 minute act one. <laughs> and, right. And you don't break. There's no breaks.
0: <laughs> no, and it, no, it, it, that's another big difference, um, between orchestral playing and playing, being a pit musician is that endurance. You have to be able to play for a long time. Um, yeah. You don't do that in, in an orchestra setting. It's like, you know, you talk to an orchestral player and they've got a pops concert coming up and they're like, ah, my mm. face is going to fall off. And I'm like, bring it because I do it all the time. Like, I can play for a long, a long period of time before I tire.
1: And sometimes two yeah. or three shows in a day.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, in a day. And, you know, and it, you take a beating, but you, you get to a, you kind of learn along the way. And this is certainly something that I've learned from you know, my very first show, Guys and Dolls, to now is that you have to pace yourself to a certain extent. You have to think, OK, this is going to be a, a okay. long haul. I have to make sure that, you know, I'm going to be able to make it. What do I what can I do to change how I'm playing this in order to be able to make it to the end and and on days where you have to do two or three in the same day?
1: Right now, I asked you. Um, I've I've asked you in advance of what what is the most difficult book you've ever played, and you said there there isn't a show that compares to uh, a, something outside of theater. What what book is that that's your hardest?
0: So for musical theater, there is not a book that I have met that I have thought, "Wow, I cannot play this." You mm-hmm. know, I figured out eventually, and I think it's because I played. Several years back I played the opera um Albert Herring by Benjamin Britten and it is the hardest thing I have ever played.
1: And I got to say I you know I'm I'm a fan of Benjamin Britten. It's like some of his pieces especially like some of his string only pieces are my favorite for that ensemble but I uh that that's a name that I've heard but I've never checked it out. So since since you mentioned that I've I've put it on my queue. I'm going to have to hear what's going on there
0: (laughs) you listen to it you'll love it you'll love it it is it is an an extremely i remember one of the one of my colleagues that was playing it and we all shared this she said that it was the most exciting yet terrifying experience she's ever had playing anything and it was completely truthful because you'll have i mean you just have to listen to it it's it's a very very difficult opera. It is three acts of concentration, difficult parts. I mean, that's so I really, after I played that, like there's, there hasn't been anything that I've met, you know, in theater that I thought was just the worst thing ever. It was just the hardest thing ever. I think, I mean, if I had to pick something, you know, like West Side Story or 42nd Street stuff that has a lot of jazz in it, is always something that for me or Big band style, when you get into those kind of situations it always you know just because I'm, I'm a horn player and it's not really something that they teach you right you know those might be some of the harder books that I've played there are some books that are just they're hard because they're not legible <laughs> right
1: yeah I, I i don't understand the tradition of like there's a key signature on the first line of each page but it doesn't follow after that (laughs) and and then it's all handwritten it's like uh it's like we need to we need to we have modern technology now we need to make all this legible
0: (laughs) i keep i keep i keep wondering why in the world like people play these shows they rent these shows they updates are made sometimes they're included sometimes they're not like why isn't this somebody's job to go back and like fix all this stuff so it's legible I mean the worst thing that I think the worst book that I've ever had to read um, is the Christmas Carol right. the Alan Minkin version I mean it's literally it's not readable mm-hmm. it's so bad and for me that's you know I can read almost anything and this was impossible
1: it, there, there's a big difference between the first edition of little shop of horrors and the revised version it's like the it's very hard to read that first edition but the right revised version looks really nice uh just a shameless self-promotion to anyone listening uh to like any companies out there if you got these awful handwritten scores uh, i will be happy to (laughs) uh be of assistance to clean those up
0: (laughs) clean them up all of them
1: um So one of your other roles is you are an orchestra contractor and I know you do that for a specific uh, for a specific school. But um, so what is an orchestra contractor and what what how hard is that? What are the challenges you have with that?
0: There are a lot of challenges with that. Um, I kind of got started doing contracting because people were asking me all the time for recommendations for you know, players. Mm -hmm. And just one day it just kind of ended up, Oh, we probably should be paying you for this. This is like work. So I started doing that. Um, And it's more than just like hiring people. I mean, for some places it just depends on what it is, if it's a church gig or if it's for a university production or if it's, you know, a wedding or whatever, you know, there's paperwork involved, contracts and that sort of thing, negotiating. Um, But, But basically, you're you're just kind of that like middleman, you know, so the music director doesn't have to deal with it. Taking care of all the, you know, the hiring, the make sure people get their books. um, Everybody's informed. Everybody shows up on time so that they don't have to do it. Yeah, it comes. Some can be some gigs can be very easy to book. Most of the time they are not. You almost never have it you never get your date far enough out to where you have really enough time to get exactly who you want. Our area is full. I mean we have tons of musicians in the in the area, but not everybody is suited to play in a pit orchestra. Mm-hmm. Let's say.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you don't necessarily want your top orchestral people playing in the pit. It's a different there, it again apples and oranges it's different down to you know even paying attention to the conductor yeah there's a difference there's mm-hmm. a big difference and so you have to be careful who you hire um, inevitably everything is always happening all at once I don't know why we can't come up with some sort of system to where we can spread out these shows and orchestra gigs and church gigs, like Christmas, Easter, I get it, but the rest of, you know, the other times of year, everything is always conflicting. And so you end up, it can be rough, yeah, really rough trying to contract. And then again, you're kind of on this, um, honor system with people, you know, you've hired them, you're, you're kind of a, you know, have a verbal confirmation or agreement to play this gig and they back out in the last second. And then, what do you do? So it be, it becomes a very stressful situation, especially if I'm playing the gig as well.
1: Right. So uh, this is a uh, this is a point where if it's a smaller theater, or probably for like you know uh, like a grade school, public school, the music director is the orchestra contractors a- as well. So it's right. uh, so what you do is for kind of larger venues or 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 maybe in for a situation where the music director doesn't know many people. You were able to exactly. help with that. Um, so here's uh, something I thought about. What's, um, what's advice you would give to other musicians to increase their odds of being rehired? What are some things that they, they can do? What are some things they should avoid doing?
0: Things that catch my eye or my ear, obviously, I mean, is being able to play well, right. obviously. Um, other things are punctuality, hmm. showing up on time. I don't, I mean, your call time, you have a call time. Yeah. If you're there by the call time, that's what you're supposed to be. But if you're there a little bit earlier, that makes me feel a little bit better.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. You know, it's something. It's just, I know you're there. I don't particularly like subs. I hate subs. <laughs> I hate it. I don't like doing it. I don't think anybody likes subs.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um. I had a situation come up where, I had a show, it had two trumpet players, and they were going to share the same sub. Oh. Which I thought was a great idea. I mean, at least they knew the show, they could just play the other part. Well, the sub sent a sub one day. Oh, no. (laughs) And I was absolutely livid. Um, So that doesn't get you rehired, no. Right. Um, There are other things, too. I mean, just sending subs, and I get the game you you know you have to kind of play the play the system to a certain extent like you don't want to send a sub that's better than you are because then you might not get rehired cuz right. they're like well that guy was better and let's face it and I, and I know a lot of people think they are the best at what they do yeah. there's always somebody better than you are
1: and and I got to say at least twice that's happened and I've gone with the subs for rehiring so <laughs>
0: <laughs> right So, you know, but you you can't send someone that is terrible either. And I've experienced that as, you know, being a contractor or just being in an ensemble. It makes it miserable for everyone. You're not going to get it because it's a reflection on you as far as what kind of sub you send. So that will get you not rehired. Um, What else will not?
1: How about simply difficult? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Being a difficult person you have to be flexible in musical theater, especially community theater. And especially um, when children are involved on mm. stage, there is, you have to be flexible.
1: Right. Yeah. And I was just, I was just thinking um, concentrating, you know, it's like, you know mm-hmm. it, you've got to put down the phone. You've got to yes. pay attention. You know, it's like it, you, you can't have the music director waiting to, give you an entrance and you're, you're like, you're somewhere else.
0: (laughs) Being a musician. One of my biggest cut thieves is, is having to add, if you're being paid as a musician, no one should have to ask you to be a musician. Yeah. Your director shouldn't have to ask you to engage or, you know, to follow instruction. That's your responsibility. Yeah. So if, if someone, if I encounter someone like that, they're not going to get, I'm not going to hire them.
1: Right. Okay. I'm going to switch gears for a moment. And, um, this is something I asked you about in advance and, uh, and you've agreed to share. So you are, you're a musician and you live with a chronic illness. And I just ask whatever you'd like to, if you'd like to just share about that and just what, what that, how that affects you as a musician.
0: Well, I have, I think, let's see, I was diagnosed it's about five years ago with lupus. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's an autoimmune disease. There's no cure for it. I will always have it. Um, and it's where your, your immune system cannot tell the difference between yourself and an invader. Mm-hmm. So my immune system is suppressed so it doesn't attack me. Right. And it it was a I'm not even sure how I can put it put it into words. It was a very drastic change to my life. Mm. I refer to it kind of like I have a new normal now. Kind of like when the pandemic, you know, right now everybody's experiencing a new normal. Well, I've been through the whole new normal thing. I have a new normal. I'm probably about at a seventy five percent of what I used to be. Mm-hmm. And you have to just kind of accept that and move on now as far as being a musician that becomes a problem because I do have a day job Yeah, you know, I work full-time um, I take care of my mother who has dementia mm-hmm. um, I'm very I'm very busy and I'm also sick so I have to be careful that I pace myself and get enough rest and you um, know I'm playing shows if I'm booked for three different shows back to back, is that something that I'm physically going to be able to do? Right. That's something that I have to think about now. Playing-wise, you know, if I I get too cold, I can't be too cold and I can't be too hot. And, you know, bringing those kind of things, creature comforts, I guess, to get me through playing a show, you know, planning on how I take my medications, because I take, like, but i have over 20 medications every day. Oh, wow. um, So you have to plan. And some of them have side effects, you know cause drowsiness and different sorts of things. So you have to be prepared for that. But um, I think I enjoy musical theater even more than I used to, just because it's being diagnosed with lupus, it's kind of given me a different outlook on life. And like, I'm, I'm super grateful that I can still do it. Right, because I know there will come a day that I won't be able to. Right. So you know, it's it makes music playing these shows even more special. I think for me.
1: Right. It seems like that's that's enough uh, as as far as something you have to deal with regularly. I, I feel like asking about a, a horror story from a show, and especially with all that you've dealt with as a contractor, is a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more than than is needed. So I just want to say, what are what are some fond memories that you've had of a show?
0: I have lots of them. I have obviously what the, my favorite shows are the ones that I've had the most fun. Or I think a lot of people don't realize like when you're playing in the pit, how much nonsense, I guess not <laughs> nonsense, but fun. that goes on right. in the pit. And it always depends upon, you know, who's down there, who you're playing with. I enjoy the shows where I have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed those first shows that I did with Campus Lights just because that was my, you know, beginning on that journey and really understanding how how the whole process worked. Um, I got to be involved um, with a local university um, of doing the test of a, you know, off-Broadway, mass-produced college, you know, university high school version of Phantom of the Opera, Mm -hmm. which was pretty you know, it was pretty cool getting to play, you know, fan of the opera before everybody else got to do it. Right. So I I mean, and that was that was that was pretty that was a pretty big deal now that I think about it. So I had a really fun time on that show. I play every well, not every year. They started here and um and I'm actually living in High Point. Yeah. Um they've started doing a Christmas carol with High Point Community Theater. I think they're, they've done five now, and it's kind of like a traditional thing. And it's become, you know, like a Christmas tradition at this yeah. point. Uh, I'm very fond of those shows. Um, I have certain shows. Like I don't have a particularly favorite show. I'm, and I'm like that with a lot of things. I don't have ultimate favorites. But right. I always, no matter what show it is or whatever it is, I always find something about it that is... I really like or is my takeaway from it. Yeah. So I have, I do have a lot of fun, fun times, fun memories, great experiences yeah. working with great people.
1: I think that's a good perspective. You know, it's a, it's sometimes I kind of get weary of the 2020 memes. It's like, it, you probably had something good happen this year, you know, and you probably, yeah. you probably had something good and bad happen. Every year you've been been alive, it's like we don't yeah. we, we kind of put this artificial, I don't know, boundary on what's good, and then then we're surprised we get to twenty twenty one, and we're not we're not perceiving that as any better. So like you got to live for the the moments, I think.
0: <laughs> right, the moments in life. It's what I mean, it's the little things in life. Um, enjoy the little things, even if everything is a disaster around you, because you know I have been there and done that. But you find those moments. That are truly special, and you should hold on to them.
1: Right. Is there a show, is there a musical that you've never played, but you know you would definitely like to play at some point?
0: There is one show. Um, The first show that I saw on Broadway um, was Miss Saigon.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And Miss Saigon was done. Mm -hmm. I think you might have done the, you might have been the the music director. I can't remember now.
1: Yeah, that that was known That was the Ork extra show. <laughs> we had like four, oh, yeah. four musician live musicians in Ork
0: extra and that's that was a fun yes. thing. <laughs> and I I I wanted to play when I first heard and you know they came out with their with their season of what they were going to do. I was like, Miss I gone." Yeah. I wanted to do it so badly cuz it was my first, you know, live broad on Broadway um show i still
1: want to do it yeah it's it's one of those i guess it's tough people don't schedule it more because you really nowadays you have to cast it correctly if if it's going to be received well yes and so so finding someone who who fits the the characters that are written that can also sing and act and and everything you need to do that's yeah, that's very crucial. So I guess that's why it's not done more often. But oh, I would absolutely love to be to, to participate in you know a full a fully orchestrated live version of that. That would be that would oh, be that very would be good. Amazing. Okay, well, uh, I think that's just about it all as far as questions go. So, um, Kate, thank you for taking time, and you know, I'm. You know, I guess it's the one bright side of you're you're normally so busy. So during this I time I was able to get you on uh, you know for an interview. So thank you for being a part of that and for sharing your stories.
0: Thank you for asking me. I, I really I've enjoyed having our conversation. It's the longest conversation I've had with anybody in a while. I'm
1: glad that we could have this this moment. Just a postscript to my episode with Kate. Since our interview, I did listen to a recording of Benjamin Britten's opera, Albert Herring, and without actually seeing the score, I can definitely hear why Kate considers it the toughest book she's had to play on French horn. We'll be back again on Friday, and I will be talking with Randy Mintz, a retired band director with over 40 years of teaching experience and a lot of pit experience as a bassist, along with a few other instruments. His interview is a delight and I encourage you to check it out on Friday. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at LifeInThePitPod. You can follow me personally on Instagram at DavidLaneMusic or Twitter and Facebook at DavidMLaneMusic. As always, a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. For the time being, you can find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast or at our Podbean page, lifeinthepit.podbean.com. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.